Hey everybody, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Everybody, welcome back to Pivot Point. Thanks for tuning in. I I just love all the feedback that I've been getting from you. Thank you so much for last week's feedback. Uh, it was great. That was a great show. A lot of you responded. So look, if you want to respond to Pivot Point, I have an email. It's called Pivot Point at js dibiase.com. That's J-S-D-E-B-E-A-S-I. Now, (laughs) I'm laughing because when I was a kid, my mom used to spell the name on the phone. Who is this? So she would spell it. D as in David, E as in Edward, and, you know, I'm not going to go on. But I find that I do the same thing. And exactly, D as in David, E as in Edward. Only when I get to the end with the I, I don't say anything. I want to say something. And honest to goodness, I have no idea what my mom used to say. I don't think she said anything either. I think she went, S as in Sam, I. (laughs) I don't know why I'm telling you this, but that's what happens part of the Italian household. Every now and again of this show, I'm going to give you little tidbits of what my world's really about. (laughs) What is Pivot Point? So Pivot Point is, is a show where we talk to people who are in the arts. We find out what drew them to their art. What was it that they chose to be a singer or an actor or a guitar player? Uh, I just recently interviewed Justin Derrico, who was Pink's guitar player. Fantastic guy. And what an interesting journey he's had. And throughout the journey, we find out who helped him along the way, who were these people who were really integral in getting them to that next place. And what about hurdles? We all have them, right? How did they handle that? What was their education like? And when is it that they decided that this was really the thing for them? And that's what this show is. And so as you listen, like today, you're going to hear some things that I believe are going to really encourage you and some things that you're going to take away as part of your own life. You're going to be able to empathize. You're going to be able to say, oh, that's my story too. Maybe it's just that part. So that's what Pivot Point is. So today's guest is Kyle Fritz. Now, you know Kyle. Kyle Fritz Management. Uh, You know Kyle Fritz Management. Kyle is an actor's manager. He's also a producer, but more importantly, he's an amazing human being. Now, I know, Kyle, you're going to say stop, but it's really true. I, I, so how did I meet Kyle? I met Kyle because over the pandemic at the beginning uh, last summer, 
he started to do a class. Now, it wasn't a class about uh, the techniques of acting. It was the business of acting. And I was like, oh, yes, please. I've been in the film business for a number of years. I understand the business side of a composer, the, the, the business side of a music editor. And as I've been acting, it's a mystery. And this is what I learned from Kyle. First and foremost, after every class, when we shut down the Zoom, I said to myself, this is really possible. And it's not just this is possible, I'm going to act in a student film or maybe a, an indie, indie, low budget, no budget feature film. This is possible to work on a primetime show or a major feature film. It's all possible. And it's really, you know, it's about your talent, of course, and how hard you are to work it. And, and like a musician, you got to get in that room and practice, you know? I'm a trumpet player. If I don't play and I get asked for a gig, yeah, I'll be taking the next plane home. So the thing about Kyle is he teached, he teached, he taught. I was going to say he teaches. He taught about, really, what's your type? How do you make sure that your resume and your headshot are all matching your type? How do you dress for your type? How do you write a cover letter that's going to match for your type? We did mock conversations when you go in and meet an agent or a manager. Tell me about yourself. Well, what's expected there? It was just fantastic. I came away with so many tools. And during that class, I kept on saying to myself, man, I really would love to get this guy on Pivot Point. And because I want to know his journey. And uh, it was months later that I finally decided what could possibly happen. The worst he could say is no. But fortunately, he said yes. And Kyle, thank you. So what you're about to hear is Kyle's story and some remarkable transitions in his life. And I don't want to give my, uh, I don't want to give any of it away. So here you go. This is Kyle Fritz and I talking about his pivot points. Take it away, Kyle. Hello. There he is. How are you, man? Good. How are you? Good, good. Let me just lower some volume here. Well, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, of course, of course. So one of the things that I'm always curious about is where, well, where did you grow up and did you have siblings? 
And the third question is going to be, when did you start to know about your artistic expression? Wow. Okay. So I grew up in a little border town called Yuma, Arizona. It's okay. Kind of, it's, it's for people who don't know, it's on the uh, edge of California and uh, Mexican border. Actually, it's really right in the corner. Very small town, about 50,000 people in the regular uh, summertime. And in the winter, we get tons of winter visitors. So it, it, it's like it, it triples in size and population uh, mm. during the, with the winter months because the weather's so nice there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I suppose you've heard a lot about Yuma lately because the former president was down there a lot on the border and there's a lot of border right. issues going on down there. So it's yeah. been on the news a lot, which is funny to me coming from such a small town. But yeah, yeah that's where I started out. And was it more of a, a touristy town then for those particular months where people come in, people come out and, and what was that like? Well, it was, it was kind of, it was really older folks that wanted the, the warmer weather. So we, we, we they were termed uh, affectionately termed snowbirds oh, um, yes. <laughs> and they would, uh, they would, as, as it was such a tiny, tiny town, we really didn't have the infrastructure to hold everybody. So they'd come in their RVs and their trailers and they would really sort of take up a lot of space and made it very difficult to get around, but it was a huge part of the economy. So it was, yeah. impor it was important, but it yeah. wasn't like, you know, spring breakers or anything like that. It was right. Yeah. And were your folks involved in that kind of business or no? No, no my dad, well, my family, um, was in the beverage, uh, business. My father and, and uh, his siblings owned Pepsi and Budweiser in a couple of states and they were, they were bottling companies and that's what they, they did. So okay. um, yeah, growing up, I worked, I worked for that company. I started out like washing back in the day before they did sodas and boxes and stuff. They did them in metal, huge metal tanks. And so I would wash tanks. I would get up at five, five every morning, wash syrup tanks. And then I was also the quality assurance manager. So I would have to test the soda, swab, swab everything and make sure everything was sanitized and ready to go for a day of bottling. So, wow. Yeah. That makes sense that you would be QCing. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Wow. And siblings? One, one, one older brother. One older five, brother. Five years apart. He, we both had big lofty dreams. Uh, he was a semi-professional baseball player. Okay. Uh, and now he's in the beverage business. Uh, he followed in my father's footsteps, although they no longer own those businesses anymore. Mm -hmm. He worked for somebody else. But, uh, and I always wanted to be in the entertainment business. That was always my dream. And how, when did you first know that? Like, I mean, I'll share this with you. When I was younger, I have an older brother. He's about uh, two and a half years older than I. And he started playing trumpet. You know, when you get to that age where, okay, you know, fourth grade or so, what instrument do you want to play? And so he played trumpet and he never played it. It was just sitting in the bedroom closet. And I was younger and I always go, I can play that. I can play that. And when it came time, I told my parents, oh, I want to play trumpet. And they, they, you know, long since turned it in. And like, no, no, we, we went that way with your brother. Like, no, no, I can do it. And they got me a trumpet and that's my main axe, you know? So. That's so funny. I, I played trumpet as well. Oh, is that right? Yes, I did. Oh my gosh. So how did you know? Like, how did you know about acting or music? Like what, well, what do know, you have memories of that? 
I don't really know how I knew, but I knew it a very, very, I knew when I was like seven, eight years old, I, mean, I was that young that I, but at the time I was into the arts period. So I remember telling my folks, I want to be a singer. I want to be an actor and I want to be an artist. Um, I can't sing a note. So that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't ever, ever really going to happen. Um, and I, I was just okay with, I was more of a crafty guy. We didn't really paint that well. And so I really got into just the, the acting thing, but I had a really supportive family who, who just really pushed me to get out there and, and do it. Wow. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. Not, not everybody can say that. No, I t- at one point when I was a little older and I was getting more realistic dreams, I thought, well, maybe I want to be a lawyer. And my mother said, oh, no, I want you to be a- <laughs> Your uncle's a lawyer and he's an asshole. So <laughs> you, you, you could be an actor. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> That's great. Now, was your mom involved in the arts at all? No. Well, the only, the only thing that she ever did was she was the the... Well, she had run for Miss Yuma County in her youth, and uh-huh. and then she ended up being involved in pageants. So she was like the chaperone for Miss Arizona. Okay, um, she would do this. She would do that. But no, I kind of uh, the I kind of had to figure this all out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky in that. Well, lucky and not and uh, you know, my husband still gets on me about this because I had an opportunity that I really didn't know. We had li- they also had a house at the beach in in uh, Lucadia, California, and a condo and they were across from a very famous director and he met and he was an English director and he, they would talk to him and then he managed to get me into RADA. Wow. And at a high school and I was going to go to RADA and I chickened out and didn't go. Oh, didn't wow. go. And my husband is so mad because he, all his dream was, was to go to RADA and he couldn't even get an opportunity. And I just like blew it off and, and went and went off to Arizona state and studied theater there. But, um, wow. Well, so for those who are listening, tell them what RADA is. RADA is the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London, actually. And it's a very prestigious, prestigious acting school. And it was something that, you know, I had I knowing what I know now, I would have gone. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Hindsight. Yeah. You know, a young guy from Yuma, Arizona. I didn't have I didn't have a lot of role models and I didn't have a lot of insight into the industry and what things mm. really were. So. Mm-hmm. That was all stuff I had to learn mm-hmm. uh, when I ended up going to ASU and I started really getting involved in the theater program. I started coming back and forth to LA during my semesters and on summer break and studying out here at different classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to learn stuff. And then at Arizona state, I started, took a Meisner course mm-hmm. and then I learned about Sanford Meisner. And then when I left Arizona state, when I came to LA, Sanford Meisner was teaching out here and I was lucky enough to get into his program. Wow. And I did his two year, two year program. It was incredible. It's just incredible. Mm. But oh, I, I did finally get my opportunity to study with a great, amazing person. It just took me a roundabout way to get there. Well, it's funny, the pivot points that happen in our life, like that was a big thing for you to have that opportunity. And just because of I think you said it was fear or whatever. It just didn't have the role models. It it took you in a different trajectory. And that's yeah. how life is, you know? Yeah. And I'm super grateful for that trajectory because I just, I was, a, I was kind of an immature kid. I, I, it was, college was great for me in the sense 
that it, it gave me time to, to, to grow up a little bit and, mm. and be prepared. And I had a blast in college. I, I, I moved into the theater world very quickly and, and had a really good time. But coming back and forth to LA in between semesters or summer break, I started to get some traction and meet some people in the business. And I didn't know anybody in LA. Um, and so then I my, I, my senior year, it was my senior year, and I had one semester left and just like six credits, six units to get, and I bolted. Oh, no um, kidding. Yeah, I bolted because I got an agent out here and things are happening, and I was like, I'm going. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? And wow. then I studied with Sandy for two years. That's what I did as my sort of final act. Do you think that... Um the lesson from when you were younger and then missing out on an opportunity and then having this opportunity played into that decision going, I'm going. Yeah. I, I felt like, well, I didn't, the truth is, is that I was terrified to move to LA because I really didn't know anybody. And I, yeah. but I, I felt like the traction, I, I had gained some traction and I was like, I had missed an opportunity before. Mm. I'm not going to, as much as I didn't want to go, I had some major stuff lined up in, in Arizona that was supposed to be the lead in a couple of their main stage plays. And I was all set to go. And I just, something in my heart said, you've got to, you've got to just take, do it now. And it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I did. And that, that's what I did. That's awesome. I love that you did. And, and well, I'll get back to that. I, I just love that you had this, courage, um, the chutzpah to just go after it. And having been a student in your class, I hear that same, that same go for it, you know, and don't go small, go big. Yeah. You just, you just have to, but I, and it's, and it's scary. I mean, as I, as I do talk about in the classes that I, I was teaching, anytime I feel a part of a fear in my gut and I, and I know, and I don't want to do something because I, I'm fearful. I always know I have to do it. That's sort of my, that's sort of my, I do that gut check of, Oh, you don't want to do this. You need to do it. And that happens. <laughs> you got to just walk through the fire. And that happens. I mean, literally when I moved to Los Angeles, I had a, a buddy of mine from college. We loaded up my a U-Haul with all my stuff. We put my car on a tow and we had two, a dog and a cat, I think in the cab. And, uh, he dropped me off, unloaded all my stuff in the middle of Hollywood. I haven't left Hollywood since, and this was in 1990, I believe. Um, and I threw all my stuff in the middle of Hollywood in an apartment, and he shut the door, and I all of a sudden could hear all these sirens going off and gunshots. Oh, my god! And I'm this little kid from Yuma, Arizona. Well, I thought of myself as a little kid from Yuma, Sure. 24. Um that's still young. That's still young coming coming into a big city like this. That's like being dropped off in downtown Manhattan. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> in Hell's and Kitchen. I, I remember calling her because I'm, I, I'm very close to my, my folks, but especially my mother's my mama's boy. And I gave her a call and I just was talking to her and she could hear the siren. She goes, what the hell's going on? And I said, and I just burst in tears. What have I done? You know? Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? Uh-huh. What have I done? <laughs> you know, that's such a great, place to be i my very first acting class i drove 
to the class and I yelled out loud that same that same expression. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've said it. I've said it quite a few times in my career. <laughs> oh man. Well, tell me about your time with Meisner. How how uh, you spent two years there? What? Let's let's well, dig in a little bit about that. Well, that was a really cool. That was a really cool experience. And again, you know, I think ignorance for when you're young is so great because if if you kind of knew what you're really good into in life, you, you might just not be able to handle it. But um, somebody told me that they were having auditions. Somebody had dropped out. So the way Sandy did it was he would do two groups of 24 and he had a house in, in the West Indies in a, on an Island called Beckwe. So he would take two groups of 20, he'd audition actors and put together two groups of 24. And then you would go for a month and you would immerse yourself in his technique. And oh then my. from those two groups, he'd do one in June and one in July, he would pick his new two year program. Well, you get into the first year, you had to graduate into the second year. So um, I was living in LA and I had a roommate and I don't know, I talked my roommate into letting somebody he we didn't know rent my room because I'd hooked up with another friend of a friend that was taking the class somehow. We're uh -huh. still very good friends to this day. She, she's now a talent manager as well, Christy English and an acting teacher um, in the Bay Area. And so we had never met face to face. This is before cell phones. This is before mm. internet. And we had agreed. Now see, this is where my parents were crazy. So they gave me some money to go to, to take this class, but they didn't give me a lot of money. And they said, and I had a, to fly into New York and then to fly to the West Indies and then take a puddle jumper. And it was a whole thing. So me and Christy, we'd been talking on the phone. I think it was her roommate that moved into my apartment with my roommate at the time, who's now a casting director, Gray Orsing. <laughs> um, and I love it. So they, they, uh, that worked out. And I said to Christy, I, I'm not going to get a hotel. I'm just going to stay in the airport. And she said, well, I'll do the same thing. And we'll meet at the, we'll meet in the, at, at LA or at uh, JFK. And I said, okay, I'll just carry my Meisner book and that's how you'll know who I am. Mm. So I, I, I'm in the airport with my Meisner book. I meet this, this girl, Christy English, her, her name was Christy Borchers at the time. And we slept on the floor in JFK. I can't believe my parents let me do that. And, wow. <laughs> and the next day, everybody met at, at the terminal in the airport and we were on a plane to the West Indies. And I'm still deeply close with a lot of those people. It was really uh -huh. amazing. I bet. I know you know from being in an acting class how you could bond and and with your yeah. you're in a group of like-minded people. Um, it was uh, it was quite something. And you were there just for a month, or did you go back? How did that work? No, you stayed for a full month. You stayed for a full month, and you guys you shared a room. You, they had there was a hotel there and a cafe, and it was just you just immerse yourself in the oh the uh, technique of, of Meisner. I mean, mostly. <laughs> Mostly it was learning the repetition technique. If anybody knows uh, about Sanford Meisner and he read his books or, or taken a class, you know, he has this thing called the repetition technique and, and it is seems so basic, but it's so not. So you spend most of the time learning and you just listen and repeat, you listen and repeat. Mm. So we would sit, sit on the beach for hours and just listen and repeat. I mean, somebody watching a bystander must've thought we were nuts, but um, yeah, it was really, 
fascinating. Wow. So you came back, you finished your month. Did you go to the second level or how did that work out? Yeah, so I, I, got, I got accepted into the first level and we did that. And then we did, then I got accepted into the second level. And uh, I, yeah, I completed his two-year program. It was pretty, pretty intense and pretty, he was an intense dude, Sandy. And if you, you didn't pull your weight, you didn't do your thing, he would really come down really hard on you. I, I, I saw him throw canes at people. Um, <laughs> there was one night that I, you know, I was pretty, I was a lot of fun back in my twenties. Um, so I was out really late and he, we did things called, um, are you familiar with Spoon River Anthology? No. Okay. There's they're, they're these like monologues, but they're, it's a book and he uses them to teach. And we had to do them in the second year. We did them a lot and I was not prepped and Oh, it was, I'll never forget it. It was, it was a day I did my, I did one and he just stood up and he pounded his cane on the ground and he said, you're making a mockery out of what I teach. I wish you would just leave. Oh, oh yeah. It was horrible, horrible. So oh that, talk about a pivot point. I have never, ever, ever, I'm always prepared for any meeting I'm going to have because, because of that. That, that mm -hmm. day stuck with me forever. And I'm always, I never want to be in that position again. It yeah. Was awful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Especially having someone say you're making a mockery. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He didn't hold back. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Well, but look what it did. It yeah. totally changed your life. How amazing. So you came back. Yeah. Well, we, we studied in LA, but the two year program was in LA. Okay. So West Indies was just a month. And then we, we, we LA. he had relocated for, he used to teach in New York. Um, mm -hmm. But he, his health reasons, he, he came back to LA for the last part of his life. Mm. So yeah, we came back, we did the two year program. Um, I was a waiter. Wasn't mm. getting, wasn't getting as far as I would have liked to. Mm -hmm. uh, had the Northridge earthquake. I was a waiter in Santa Monica. California. And I had already met my now husband, mm -hmm. even though I wasn't out yet mm. <laughs> to my mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had moved in together and the Northridge earthquake happened and I couldn't get to Santa Monica. The freeways were out. Yeah. And they insisted that I try to get there and work my shift. And I said, you know what? I quit. <laughs> I was really miserable <laughs> and I just quit and I didn't know what I was going to do. Wow. And a week later, my now husband was, was studying with Margie Haber. Okay. And I had known of Margie and I, and he, she needed a new office assistant. And, uh, I went and interviewed and got the job as Margie Haber's office assistant. And that's, that was another just huge pivotal shift in my life. Um, why so? Well, I started running her, she was a mess. At the time she was a mess. Uh, her computers were just, she didn't have anything on computer. Everything was handwritten notes. Everything was just not really organized. And I had a, you know, I studied business as well at Arizona State. So, and I had a really astute father who was a terrific businessman. So I put to, I re reorganized and reinvented Margie's business and mm. streamlined her and really, and I did that for like a year and a half. And while that was happening, I was still auditioning a bit. Mm -hmm. And one time I said, and my husband and I were going up for the same parts. And, but he, he had come off of Broadway. Mm. Uh, when he was 18, his first job was on Broadway. And 
he was much better, a much better actor than I am or was and uh, having a lot more success. And so we were auditioning for the same play and it was Tea and Sympathy actually. It was a remount of Tea and Sympathy. And I really wanted to do the play and I had Margie coach me on it and we worked on it for a bit and God bless her for saying this. It stung at the time, but she, she turned to me in the middle of the, of the coaching and she says, you know, you're really much better at business than you are an actor. <gasps> oh. <laughs> and I, Oh um, my gosh, Kyle. Oh wow. yeah. Wow. So, um, Ow. Yeah. <laughs> that was a tough one. I'm that was a tough one. I'm kind of stunned that someone would say remember that. It. You know, that's what's really funny. We don't remember how sometimes we impact people. Mm. You know. Um, but anyway, at that time, my husband Jonathan had started doing, he did uh, Star Trek Next Generation. And he started doing all of these personal appearances. And he, uh, so a couple of people bounced checks to me and said, well, you just call and, 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 pretend that you're my, my appearance manager and see if you can get my money. Because at that time, mm -hmm. uh, none of the agents in town wanted to deal with personal appearances. It just wasn't a thing that people did. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I, so I called and the next day I did this whole, you're never going to eat lunch in this town again kind of situation. <laughs> and the next day he had a FedEx cashier's check in the mail. And so I was already toying with the idea of getting into management because at that point I am working with Margie Haber. I'm getting to meet all these wonderful young actors in yeah. town. Mm. And um, it was something I was very interested in. I was interested in management and I was interested in producing. Mm. And I never said I quit, get, I, I quit being an actor. I never said I'm, I'm not going to be an actor. I, I just saw the path that was put before me and took that road. So I started handling Jonathan's personal appearances. And next thing I knew I was going all these, cause we'd go on these fantastic trips together and mm -hmm. nobody had to know that we were a romantic couple. Right. Yeah. So I could go on all these trips and he was getting full in first class and take, it was just great. And all these other actors who were doing these same things were like, well, my people don't want to do this for me. Will you do it for me as well? So next thing I knew people were asking me to do handle their, their personal appearances. And I had this great little company going and Garrett Wong, who ended up being on Star Trek Voyager was an actor there at Margie Haber's. And I, I also started coaching actors mm. and Garrett and I were working, I was working with Garrett and he was auditioning for the show and I never thought he would get it. And he said, well, let me pay you for your time. And I said, you know what? No, don't pay me. But if you get this part, I want to handle your personal appearances. And he said, deal. So lo and behold, he got the part. And uh, that, that business started just churning. It just started really going. I'll backtrack for a minute because it was a, fun, a, a cute fun fact. So back early on, since my, my roommate, Greg Orson was a casting director, he was casting Who's the Boss? And one night he brought over somebody that he had basically discovered, put her, it was her first job. And this beautiful blonde shows up at our door for dinner. And it ended up later, she, I kind of forgot about her. And then Garrett arranged a meeting for us because she joined the cast of Voyager. And that ended up being Jerry Ryan, who I have <laughs> represented now for wow. my entire career. Um, in fact, we just had Easter brunch together yesterday. It was nice. Um, oh, so, <laughs> so anyway, I, cut to 
I'm getting ready to go full-blown management and I'm going to leave Margie Haver. And at that time, Howard Fine approached me and asked me to lunch. And I said, yeah, he said, I, Kyle, I really want you to do for me what you've done for Margie Haver. I want you to, to do, and I, I said, oh, Howard, I, I think I'm flattered, but I'm, I'm ready to go start my own company. And he said, first of all, don't let anybody ever talk you out of that personal appearances division. It's gold. Don't, don't ever lose that. Mm. And he said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay you a really nice salary. I'll make you my resident producer and you can run my management company out of your management company out of my studio. Oh my God. And I said, well, duh. Yeah. And at the time Howard was really, <laughs> go think on that. Howard was, Howard had every celebrity. He had, he was so hot as an acting teacher in Hollywood at that time. I mean, Jim Belushi and Gary Shandling and Heather Locklear and, um, uh, Dude. I mean, Scott Wolf and I mean, I could just, it just went on and on and on and on. And so the casting directors would call looking for fresh talent. So I got to know all the casting directors all the time. And it just was a perfect segue for me to find me at, after three years of running Howard's and producing, I was like, okay, I got to go on and make and do my own thing. And that became, uh, I opened my full on management company in my guest room of my condo. And with, with pirated breakdowns, <laughs> and I sat down at my desk with a phone and I went, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> yeah. Great. Now what? Right? Like, what do now you do what? now? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, this is amazing because first of all, I really like what you said, which was you followed the path that was laid out for you. Yeah. And a lot of times I think we don't, acknowledge that there's a path that there are doors opening because we want to go to this door. You know, I want this. I, I interviewed a colleague of mine who for 20 years wanted to be a film composer. And after 20 years started to say, okay, what else is there? And the, so many things opened up for him. Wow. And he started to follow that path and he became uh, a, a accomplished music editor, an author, a teacher. He's written curriculum at, for UCLA. I mean, it's amazing. And he still can write and at his, you know, when he wants to. And that has always stuck with me, that story, because I often ask myself, what are the paths that are open? Like, what's that open flow? Part of it, and I, I don't know how many people subscribe to this, but... I'm on the cusp, I'm an Aries and I'm, a, and I'm a Pisces. Okay. I'm mostly Aries. Like if there's a door, let me put my head down and let me <laughs> ram through it. <laughs> As I get older, I'm starting to realize, you know, that cusp of Pisces, maybe just start going with the flow a little. <laughs> start going with what's <laughs> open before you because not every door you're supposed to knock down. No. So I hear your story and again, I am like, wow, that's such a great lesson. And look what's happened. These opportunities weren't small opportunities to come in, remanage somebody, somebody's office, meet all these people, manage somebody else's and start your own at the same time. I mean, what a great cushion that was. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. And you know, I went 
to go back a little ways, I went to Howard. Howard had at that time Howard Fine had opened his new studio on Robertson or on uh, Melrose Avenue, and I went to the opening of that because at that time, then my my husband Jonathan was studying with Howard as well, and and he was getting his own celebrity at that point. Jonathan was, and Howard was big on mm-hmm. bringing those people to his big Christmas party. And I walked into Howard's studio that day, and I went, "Oh my god!" I knew, I knew, I was. I, nobody made an offer. I knew I was going to end up running that studio. I don't know how I knew it, but I knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also knew what a big opportunity it would be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was, I got really lucky. I, I had the, the personal appearance thing in my belt and that was making me a really decent income at 24, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, then Howard offered me a really nice salary on top of it. So I, I was, I got really, really lucky. And um, if you're ever, you know, you find a lot of mentors in your life. I think uh, if you're ever lucky enough to work with somebody like Howard Fine, I mean, you just know when you meet somebody that's going to just shepherd you and take yeah. care of, you know, he really taught me. He taught me a lot. He taught me, he was a great acting teacher, but he was a great life coach. He taught me about ethics. He taught me how to um, be a great boss. Mm. Like, like one of the things, you know, what, I just remember him really taking care of me when I first started working there, giving me a huge bonus. At the, I hadn't been there a year, and I was like, oh, the, the generosity was incredible. Oh. And I think, I think that that's an important lesson for anybody is like the, the generosity will come back at you. And so I try to be generous with my time, with my money, with, with my life. I, I really try to err on the side of generosity as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you at that time ever feel like, boy, I really do miss being in front of the camera? No, that is the big, amazing thing is I, I never thought I could want to do anything else, but become an actor. And now listen, <laughs> so when I decided to teach these classes over the pandemic. My biggest thing was I don't want to be on camera. I really don't want to be on any kind of, and now I'm saying yes to it because I'm feeling much more comfortable with it again, but I don't want to be an actor and I don't miss being an actor. But one of the big, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was another moment of trying to figure out what I wanted to do while, what we were going to do. And my husband was baking bread. He was baking sourdough bread. (laughs) He was on a show called, uh, major crimes and the closer. And we become very close with the, one of the, well, a couple of the, the producers, but Michael Robin, who, who's now a producer on all rise. He has a show on our, uh, called all rise, but, um, we went over to them and we took, we're really close with this family. We took them some sourdough bread and we were just talking. And I'm like, yeah, I'm batting around this idea of these classes. And he was like, I was like, but I don't really want to be on camera. You know what I mean? He's like, you need to do it. Mm. You need to do it. And I'm like, really, Michael? He's like, do it. <laughs> so he was kind of my final push to do it. And boy, do, do I not regret doing that? Uh huh. Well, and for one who has taken your class, I'm so glad that you did because it's changed. I can't tell you how much it changed. Well, I can. It, it solidified type, really nailed it. It solidified how to really craft the resume and how to have all of this stuff aligned, resume, headshot, and reel. I, I, I mean, that's just the beginning part, learning about the business side and having such that your attitude about business 
was also so enlightening, encouraging. It, after every class, I always felt like this is possible. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I think what I, what I, my takeaway, first of all, it's made me a better manager as well. Mm. Um, I'm noticing that it just, it's reinvigorated me. It's been, it's, I'm paying attention to much more detail, but what I think it does, did for a lot of the actors, because so many of them have had a little success story after the class, mm. I feel like getting your materials together can be so daunting and actors want to be just creative. Yeah. And, and if you just have somebody to help get, get you through that part of it, get you, get you focused on where you, where your real house is mm -hmm. and having all the materials done and getting the right self tape situation set up and all those things that actors tend to put off because they just want to create gives them the, once they do it, once they walk through that fire of doing it, then they have the confidence to go out there and get what they want. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm noticing. If, if anything, the class gives not only the knowledge, but confidence that they know what they're talking about and what they're doing in there. And, you know, I just, another actor over the weekend emailed me saying he booked, he got an agent and, oh, um, that's fantastic. And that's been, you know, it's been really fun and exciting and rewarding. And, and, um, uh, I'm taking a break from it, though. By the way, I'm, just, right. I, I'm on my last class right now for the moment, but um, but it's been busy. It's been busy, you know. Yeah, well, it's something you know. How do I say this? It's really been a, a reciprocal thing. I mean, yeah, we pay for a class, but you know what we learned from that class, even doing the conversations, right? The the mock. So tell me about yourself. You know, we mock that up or. Um, just even doing a self tape and how to really create the right background. Oh, there's so much in the cover letter. Yeah. I mean, I feel so confident now in my cover letters because I used to go, sure, I can write a bunch of letters. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> you know? And now it's just really doing the sleuthing of who is the right person to, to contact, to reach out. Right. All right. Well, let's go back. And okay. you've opened up, you're, you've you've got your manager. You know, started your company. It's in the in the uh, bedroom uh, of your condo. Yeah, and you're now what? So what happened? Well, the great news was is that the people that I was working with with personal appearances wanted me to take their career to the next level. Right? They wanted me to handle it all. Mm. So I no longer. I I, I kind of. I made the decision that I wouldn't do personal appearances for anybody that I wasn't representing across the board anymore. And that was first. And then I also knew all because of Howard studio, I literally knew every new talented actor or not every, but a good majority of them, especially the developmental people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, what I would do, so things were different back then because we didn't have, the internet in the way that we have it now. What, what happened was the breakdown services would print out what would fax you mm. once a day, they would fax you. So what I ended up doing was I got, you have to get, you have to get, I think three agents to, to write letters for you to legitimize you as a legitimate talent manager in order to receive the breakdown services. Mm -hmm. So I find I did that. I knew, you know, I knew agents from Howard's and I, and, and so I did that and they all wrote me my letters and I started getting the breakdowns. And I also, 
Oh, so this is how it worked. You got the breakdowns once a day, which was, I mean, now we get them all day long, which is just kind of annoying, but um, you got them once a day, you would go through and mark all your actors down and then you would pull their pictures. You had hard copy pictures, you printed their resumes, stapled them to the back. I wrote a cover letter mm-hmm. to every single casting director on the submission that day. So it would take an entire morning and then the messenger service would come around with 12 or one, pick up, a, no, I take that back. That was later as I became more successful as I didn't have a lot, you know, a lot of resources. What I did was I would take my, my submissions and I get my husband, Jonathan, he'd get in the car with him and he would drive me to all the studios. And I'd talk myself onto the lot. Or if the casting director wasn't on a studio and they were on an office, I'd walk my way to there and I would go hand deliver my submissions and I would talk them into seeing my people. Wow. And um, yeah, talk about ballsy. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's, the, and that's how I got to know a lot of them because they would then have a face and a name. Nobody had the balls. To, I don't know how I even had the guts to do it, but I would do it. And um, that's how I got a lot of my relationships because they had a face to a name mm. and, and they knew me from working with Howard. And so it just evolved. And then a lot of the actors went, went, came with me from Howard, Howard Fine's studio when I first left. Um, and then word of mouth and it just, you know. Yeah. I also was really picky because of my background, because I studied with Sanford Meisner, because I ran Margie Haber, because every night, I, every Monday night I watched Howard Fine's Monday night acting class because I had to pitch it to the actors when it was at the break. Mm. Um, I knew talent, like the back of my hand. I could see it. I could just, I just knew it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and because of my acting background, I knew how to help them. I knew how to give them notes. I knew how to talk to them. I knew how to communicate with them. And I just was extremely fortunate that my dad gave me the business skills. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Amazing. What an incredible yeah. journey. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, how long did it take you to grow? Was it a year or two years to a point where you're going, okay, now I need to start turning people away? Well, because of my work, I always turned people away. Uh, I, I was always very, I, I always decided to have a smaller list with, I always said that you were, that you're only as strong as your best actor. Mm-hmm. So, so I really was pretty, I've never had more than 20, I think 27 was the most I've ever had at one given time. When did I feel like, when did I start? I was always very particular about who I was gonna represent. And, and, and that's what I tell actors. When you're looking at people to represent you, you want somebody that you can really feel proud represents you, that you're, you're, you feel like they represent who you are. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't gonna work with an actor that I didn't feel, uh, was going to present me in my best light when I fought to get them through a door that even if they didn't get the part, even if they weren't the, the having the overnight success, they were going to go in and deliver. Mm. Um, and that's, that's been, that's kind of the secret of my success, which is I, I, I just had this keen eye for talent and I knew how to get them through the door. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also stuck with people for, for quite some time. Uh, I, I have a girl who's on a show right now who was four years without a single success. And, and, you know, she nailed a series regular and she's doing great, you know? That's awesome. So you've got to believe in your people and you've got to be, 
you know, I'm in it for the long haul. That's why I don't, don't just walk into a relationship with an actor. It takes me a minute and I have to really feel confident that they're going to be successful. Yeah. I hear that. That makes sense. Tell me about a hurdle. Tell me in this journey, which sounds wonderful and yet at times incredibly scary. Uh, what were some of the hurdles that were like, Oh shit. Well, boy, a particular hurdle. I can just say that every time, every time you feel like you're at, you've got the fish up to the boat, a lot of times they fall off the hook. <laughs> and that yeah. happens a lot. And I think the hurdle for me is to get up and just keep doing it, mm. to keep trying it, keep, because the, show business is a tough, tough business. And you're never, it's not like you go study to be a doctor and then you're a, a renowned surgeon, you know, it's, you could study for years and never get anywhere. Or you can, you, you know, there are times when I have six or seven people on a series at one time when you're riding really high and then everything's canceled and you've got nothing happening. And yeah. it's just, it, it's just riding those waves. Um, I've been fortunate that I've had some really, you know, consistently working actors, including my own husband, but I, it, it's, it, there's been battles. I will tell you, I can give you a, a hurdle with Jonathan, my, my husband, Jonathan, because I don't think he'll mind me telling the story. So I did not choose. He's the one person that I really didn't choose to represent. Mm -hmm. I, cho <laughs> I chose to marry him, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't choose to represent him necessarily. His agent, uh, and manager sort of left the business at the same time. Mm. And he was having a little lull in his career. And so I decided that I was the best person to, to fix that. And I even took him because he'd been on series and I said, we're going to start you all completely over and we are going to, uh, I'm going to have you do a couple co-stars because you're, you, he went from being, and a lot of young guys go through this. So they go from being this young actor and they're not and they play younger than they are and he, that's what he did and then he wasn't quite uh the man yet that he hadn't quite mm -hmm. he didn't look like he was 21 anymore and he didn't look like he was um he didn't look like he was the the father or the you know or the professional so i took him back and he did we did a guest spot on a show what was the name of the show? Dang it. It was, it was a show that didn't last very long, but he had to play. Um, he had to try to play a trans, a, a trans person mm -hmm. and in a dress and the full thing. I know it was very hard for him, but he did it. And um, what happened there was right after that, Ryan Murphy had a show uh, called Nip Tuck. Uh. And um, this transgender character came out and I, because he had done that, he had gave him the courage and we I actually, well, he did this amazing job on Nip Tuck, which kind of reinvigorated his career. Oh my, yeah. I remember him on that. I remember yeah. watching that. I didn't know that was Jonathan. Holy, yeah. an amazing role. Yeah, it was an amazing, it was an amazing opportunity, but it, it really kind of changed and also one of the producers on Nip Tuck ended up being Michael Robin, who we spoke about earlier, 
And then they did, with our good friend James Duff, they did the closer, when, and, it, and it all just led to the next, the next path. Yeah. So um, that's why I say, as actors, when you're doing, you just, just try to walk through those doors and deliver the best you can deliver because you don't know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that, that's amazing. What a great but story. That was a reinvention of his career. So that was a hurdle for him to get through. And it was a risk that we took to make, take him back and start over. Yeah, as now a young man, as opposed to playing kids. So right, right. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to go back now and find that episode, those episodes, because <laughs> I remember that show. It was like that was a real edgy show. It really was. But you know, today he wouldn't probably be able to play that part because they would want somebody who's really trans. But um, yeah. Um, all right. I know we need to wrap. I want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, I, the last question I want. To, to run past you is the mindset. What have you done to encourage yourself throughout all of this? This times of, is it by just, oh shit, I got to survive? You know, survival change, alters ideology. So you just go do stuff. Or, are we talking about pandemic times? Are we talking about? All throughout your career, all throughout your career where things were just harder. Or um, maybe there was some doubt. Did you experience doubt? Or was things rolling? I mean, how? what was the mindset behind this? Oh, yeah. Well, there, there, there's always, uh, I mean, there's always ups and downs. Every, mm. you know, and, and also for every win, there's, there, there's a negative, as we usually. Like, for every time somebody succeeds, you're telling somebody else they didn't. Mm-hmm. So... You know, there's a roller coaster being a manager. You have these super highs at but at one moment, and you can have be at a super low with somebody else in another moment. So it's mm-hmm. it's about you have a lot of therapy. I'm a really big believer in therapy. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so, me too. <laughs> so you know, and especially when you're in a job where you're also helping somebody form their their career and how they're going to, and you're going to guide them. You want to, you want to make sure that your own house is in order as well. Mm. So, um, through the rough parts, you, yeah, there's some, there's some definite, there were some have been days where you're like, I don't want to get up and go do this. Mm. Um, and you just push through it. You just push through it. And then next thing you know, you're having, you know, the time of your life in, in, uh, London at the biggest Star Trek premiere you've ever been oh at. And you're gosh. like, oh, this is why I do this. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I do it. Or somebody's winning an Oscar. Someone's winning it. You know, this is why I do it. Yeah. So um, the wins are big and the, the lows are low, but you just have to make sure that you're, you have a support team around you that can help get you through it. Mm. And I think that's for everybody, not just yeah. actors. Yeah. So well said. Kyle, thanks, man. I do appreciate you taking out your time. I know you're very busy. And um, so, yeah, I really appreciate this. This was really great to hear your journey. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm not used to talking about myself so much, but there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, All right, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Joseph, and have a great, great rest of your week and stay safe and healthy. Thank you. You too, man. Do you see what I'm talking about? I mean, there's just something about what he's experienced in his life that brings a focus into the business side. And he has such empathy for all of his clients 
and he works hard. I mean, he's the kind of manager you want. He's somebody who's going to be on your side. And what a trajectory. My goodness. I love when he said, what was it? Just, I saw the path that was put before me and I just took that road. There's something to think about. All right, next week, you're going to hear the story of Dan Navarro. You remember Dan Navarro? Of course you do. Lowen and Navarro, they wrote the song that Pat Benatar sang, Being There. We all know that song. But you're going to hear Dan's story and what he's up to today. In the meantime, take care of yourself. And remember, if he's doing it, why not you? <laughs>